from Movendi International, I am Mike Dünnbier. This is the Alcohol Issues Podcast. It's Thursday, December 10th, 2020. Welcome to the ninth episode of the Alcohol Issues Podcast. This is a special edition. It's December 10th, Human Rights Day and also the end of another 16 days of activism period to raise awareness about and campaign for ending violence against women. In this special edition we skip the weekly alcohol issues highlights to completely focus on the in-depth conversation. For this special edition of the Alcohol Issues podcast we welcome Kristina Sperkova, the president of Movendi International. Kristina is a trained psychologist who specializes in social psychology and discourse analysis, writing about comparative analysis of gender norms and stereotypes in Sweden and Slovakia. And with this background, Christina has been leading Movendi International's work for advancing gender equality and female empowerment for the last 14 years. With Christina, I discuss alcohol's role in the epidemic of violence against women. It's a broad topic that does not receive the attention it deserves given its massive burden. And Christina shares her analysis of how and why the women's rights movement is failing in this regard. We go into detail about how the alcohol norm and gender norms overlap and the lessons that can be drawn from discussing those overlaps. We talk about the role of alcohol marketing in fueling violence and fomenting the oppression of women. And with Christina we discuss the solutions that are available to help advance women's rights through addressing alcohol. I enjoyed this deep dive into alcohol issues through a gender and women's rights lens. Christina shares profound insights that expose the alcohol industry. As a feminist herself she challenges the feminist movement and she outlines a bold and comprehensive approach to eliminating violence against women driven by the communities most affected. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Alcohol Issues podcast episode 9. Today we are with Kristina uh, Sperkova, the president of Movendi International and we are discussing violence against women and alcohol's role in it because of the 16 days of activism campaign that is actually coming to an end now on December 10th and that has kicked off on November 25th, the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. So this is a special topic. Uh, Movendi International has been working with this issue for many, many years. Many of our members address this and it will be really interesting to discuss with Christina, who is uh, deeply involved in all this kind of work. So very welcome to you, Christina. Thank you, Mike. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, me too. And the question is, can you just set this scene Why, the, why do you and Movendi International care for alcohol's role in violence against women? Yes, 
I I care about this issue because I care about both issues. I care about alcohol, alcohol norm, and about gender, gender equality, and gender norms. And there is a huge overlap about uh, in how people understand norms. And I also understand that if we manage to change one norm, then also the other norm will be influenced. So and then also it's also the other way around that one norm actually strengthens the other. And that's why I think it's important to keep in mind everything that we know as a movement about alcohol. Also, when we are talking about gender based violence, like we cannot forget the role of alcohol in discussing gender based violence or gender equality. And it's our really our responsibility to bring it up because other organizations are not making such a deep analysis of alcohol norm. So now you have already, I think, outlined some of the topics that we'll be discussing in the podcast, because I think we, we have to do two things. And I will ask you about this. We have to talk about what is the alcohol related burden when it comes to violence against women. But you have already mentioned it. Where is the response from everybody who is interested in eliminating violence against women in the end? So I think these will be the, the big issues uh, that we discuss. Um, and I think I made a note. I think we'll get back to this conversation about norms. What is the alcohol norm? What is the gender norm? And um, what can we say about alcohol here in um, fomenting harmful gender norms, for example. So that would be interesting if you can explain this for us. So from to start from the beginning, Christina, can you can you tell a little bit more about alcohol related violence against women? What's the problem? How big is the issue? What is it that you say in the work in Movendi International? So in Movendi International, we do not say that alcohol causes violence, but we are saying alcohol triggers, is a triggering factor. And it is because in up to 80% cases of violence against women, alcohol is present. And what we also know is that when, when we work with the alcohol part, <laughs> then also violence is reduced. So in individuals, for example, when we Uh, reduce alcohol use, they are also less violent. And also in societies, when we reduce alcohol use, we can see uh, overall in the society that there is less violence. So it's, a, it's definitely the present factor and it's also a triggering factor. And it's, that's connected to what the society believes that alcohol does to human and uh, Uh, what the society allows or excuses when people have used alcohol. Yeah, so I think there are, I, I think it's good to keep two things separate from the beginning. So alcohol is a major risk factor in violence against women. That's what you are saying. Yes. Yes. And in this uh, book, in this report on alcohol as obstacle to development, um, 
We are writing, for example, here this number 65% of women experiencing intimate partner violence in different countries like India, Vietnam, Uganda, Zimbabwe, South Africa report that the perpetrator had used alcohol. Yeah. So that's one, one dimension of mm. the issue. Now you're also talking about society's beliefs about alcohol and um, what does that mean? Can you explain that part a little bit more? It's also, there are several faults to that as well, but uh, society uh, often believes that when people are under influence of alcohol, they uh, become aggressive. Like they, they explain the aggressivity through the presence of alcohol in the human body, uh, which is not true. It doesn't work like that. Uh, and that's one thing. And the other one is that society also excuses it. So as soon as um, someone is under influence of alcohol and is violent, then we are closing like one eye to that. And we say, yeah, this is not, the person is not like that person is not violent. But now they have been under influence of alcohol. So it happens, that happens. And somehow the uh, the act of violence is uh, perceived like milder or is judged <laughs> as, a, as a milder act. So that's then where we have to say, stop excusing alcohol violence. So we, we separate the cultural belief from the actual action. The perpetrator always has full responsibility yeah. for what they are doing. And I think that's so important because we even know that uh, males consume alcohol already with the objective to facilitate rape or harassment and so on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I can expand on that. So we know that there are some studies about college students in the US um, that that show that the students wanted actually to be in a way violent or harass women. Uh, and that's why they used alcohol in advance to allow themselves to be violent or, or to excuse them, their behavior later on. So now, now you are talking about something that I think the feminist movement also says. They want to separate um, the perpetrator's violent actions against a woman from the substance alcohol and the opportunity to excuse it and not to take responsibility. I think the other day you even shared a like a post from you and women in the social media. Yeah. So you can talk about that. So here the feminist movement is with us. And you mentioned also critically already earlier, where is the feminist movement not with us? The feminist movement is not with us in um, alcohol policy efforts to reduce alcohol use in order to also reduce uh, violence against women. And also not only actually alcohol policy, but even in alcohol norms. So it's also the feminist movement that actually uh, fuels alcohol norm. So this will be also a conversation where you will be explaining 
this kind of criticism and this critical analysis of the feminist movement, I believe. So I think that what we are working out now is that we will commuting between these different aspects, the norm, the beliefs and the violence, so the real life consequences of alcohol consumption against women. So now I think we have set the scene of the topics that we'll get into a little bit more deeply and profoundly, but let's uh, do this systematically. Uh, Christina, what are gender norms? Can you talk about this, please? Gender norms is, uh, are behaviors that are expected from either females or males, and they are culturally assigned to, to uh, biological sex very often. So meaning in a very simplified way, like men, for example, do not express their emotions uh, and they are supposed to lead and they are supposed to decide and uh, earn money. That is a, in a way a, a norm in society that is assigned to male. And then female, they are um, caretakers and they express emotions and they should be very sensitive. So this is also what the society actually expects them, so ex expects from women. And why are these gender norms um, problematic? What's the harm that they are causing? The harm is that they are limiting because we as human beings, we all have both male and female, we have emotions and we should be able to express the emotions, for example, some of us as female are good at leading and have a bigger picture and uh, have some kind of strategic thinking and male also can have uh, in them uh, caring uh, and compassion. or compassion mm -hmm. exactly so the, and society limits us then when they cannot behave and follow what the what it's what it's what it, ugh. <laughs> when they cannot behave and follow what is in them, uh, then they start being uh, anxious, depressed, um, really like flat, they don't feel then anything, they really block emotions and then they will not, for example, be compassionate, they will not have patience and then we have all the possible problems in society from the top levels to like the, and the, the huge and great decisions that have impact on many people to daily decisions that we are taking in uh, our lives, whether I will be kind to the neighbor or to someone I meet in the, on the bus or not. Like, and that creates again a certain atmosphere in the society. So from this perspective, the norms are actually very dangerous. So now you have described the different harms of gender norms. There is an individual dimension like stress in the body of people that feel limited um, and I think stress is probably just a general term for everything that's going on mental health yeah. problems and physical health problems so there is the individual dimension to harmful gender norms and then there is the societal dimension uh, that you address a little bit that we are if we don't allow members of society to live up to their fullest potential, then we are in trouble, so to say. Exactly. Um, the society is losing 
on, yeah. on gen gender norms. Yeah, and I just wanted to uh, use these uh, two, I think, key terms, the toxic masculinity. I think that's what you were referring to when you talked about top-level leadership, that we don't have this kind of leadership that benefits everybody most of the time, and that can be summarized very often as toxic masculinity. I see you are nodding. Yeah. And uh, patriarchy. Yeah. And I want to now actually turn towards from from this analysis of gender norms to the alcohol norm. How is the alcohol industry fueling this problem with the gender norms? What is it that you have analyzed that, that you know that you can share with us? The easiest examples are all the advertising all the advertising that is produced by the alcohol industry that is uh, really using gender norms um, heavily like for a long time they have been using the norm that for example men have power over women that men just want to have sex and they do not dream of anything else than a, than a female uh, body so then in the advertisement they would be connecting uh, alcohol product with uh, parts very often mm. of female body so that and they would really sexualize it uh, or they would put women in the subordinate position uh, sometimes humor <laughs> sometimes they would really just show that thanks to alcohol the man has some kind of power over uh, the environment around him and the, a woman is very often some kind of, in, in some way inferior yeah. to men. So you talk about some track record yeah. of, and if I again use uh, these terms, uh, track record in alcohol marketing of sexu sexualizing women, objectifying and dehumanizing women. Yeah. But this can't be global that must be in your little country slovakia mm. like like one stupid alcohol company who does that or what's the reality so this is a global problem this is not only about uh, one small country and this has been going on for almost a century and uh, this is the upsetting thing like it's been going on for so many years uh, we have uh, seen really the alcohol industry, the multinational companies using the, the patriarchy and these uh, strong gender norms and divisions uh, for their benefits and for their profits. So we've been using uh, losing money <laughs> uh, and they, that was also generating violence. So not only that we economically lost, but we have been also in a way beaten because of that product and because of that uh, really unhealthy norm that they have uh, fueled. Yeah, and I think it's quite appalling. I mean, uh, for even for me as a male to look at these advertising examples and we can see that this is what Budweiser did in the 1960s, you know, depicting the housewife pleasing the husband. Yeah. And this is what Budweiser still does uh, in this uh, 21st century with a label that says um, if you want to if you want to remove no, no from yeah. the vocabulary for mm. the night in a culture where rape is uh, epidemic yeah. and so this is quite remarkable also that there is no outcry 
against this from broader movements working for women's rights. I absolutely agree with you and I do not comprehend that like or like I can somehow explain it for myself theoretically why the the outcry is not happening mm. but uh, I cannot understand it when I see the feminist movement uh, crying out for many other things being being uh, really loud and pushing for changes in the society that this one is somehow tolerated yeah and we will get back to this mm. i just want to um ask one more question so the what you are saying is that there is a link between the alcohol industry strategically using gender norms perpetuating harmful stereotypes about women yeah um perpetuating these harmful gender norms in society and in this way fueling violence against women. Is this your own assumption as a psychologist who has studied this or what is the evidence? Are there, is there other analysis out there that you're working with, that you're basing your um, conclusions on? So there are studies that, uh, for example, alcohol advertisement contributes to violence in the areas where the, for example, billboards or advertisement is uh, present. Yeah, and I think this is important to say, Christina, in our analysis of, for example, SDG 5, that is about achieving gender equality and the adverse role that alcohol plays there, uh, we are sharing some of the evidence that you are referring to now. So, for example, we are writing that the portrayal of men as well as women and girls in alcohol marketing fuels harmful masculinity, something yeah. you have talked about earlier, and fuels the sexualization, the objectification and the dehumanization of women. And in that way, it, it amplifies the common belief of masculine superiority, something that yeah. you also talked about earlier. And in perpetuating masculine superiority over women, it justifies this kind of male demonstration of power. And I think that's what you said, uh, that is also uh, an essential part, a corner part of these uh, harmful gender norms that we have in society. Yes, exactly. And here it's very important to say that it's not only half of the society that actually buys into this norm and also through this portrayal of uh, alcohol and then and connection to some kind of uh, like ma male superiority because women actually start believing that too mm. and they even accept their uh, subordinate position. And I think this is a powerful point. I just made the note here that what we know from the feminist movement is that we have to unlearn certain gender prescri uh, prescriptions, certain mm -hmm. ways of how I as a male are supposed to react and behave like you were explaining earlier. And I think there is a actually a great overlap between unlearning the alcohol norm and unlearning the gender norm and putting in place much more healthy social norms. Very much. Yes, and that's why I like this work so much. Uh, the, the analysis of the norms that we are living in, and there will be more than only uh, gender norms and alcohol norms, but in this talk we are focusing on, on those. But it's really also 
helpful for, for anyone to start like reflecting on them and by that understanding actually our role then in society and what has been happening to us because of those roles. And I think this is of course difficult to do in a podcast, but we will be sharing some of these examples uh, because all of the major alcohol producers have been using these kinds of tropes and these yeah. depictions of women that are actually quite horrific. Yeah, like you wouldn't believe. And as you said, it's difficult. Like, should we now describe like mm. what is it on the picture? There is a man's uh, crotch and, and like, and you can see it standing above a woman who is laying on the on the floor. And then there is some glass of uh, martini or something mm. uh, about, or I don't know which which brand was that. But like, it's uh, it's ugly in a way in it's uh, and it's out there like you wouldn't believe that that in these days or even 10 years back or or 15 that something like this would be okay to produce and that it would sell that this this uh, advertisement would actually sell <laughs> but of course it does otherwise they wouldn't produce it yeah i think historically we have seen that the alcohol industry was one of the biggest funders of the anti-women's rights voting yeah. initiative so when when males white males still try to keep women out of democracy yeah. uh, more than 100 years ago and also in the united states the alcohol industry actually helped fund these anti-abortion yeah. rights initiatives so yeah. we have as you are saying we have this track record of really harmful marketing fueling gender stereotypes and we have these lobbying campaigns funded by the alcohol industry uh, really infringing on the basic women's rights. Yeah, yeah. And from that perspective, it's really upsetting when then on, a, on 8th of March, like once a year or on 14th of February, it's Valentine's Day, then the alcohol industry comes and uh, is playing <laughs> on the note of the rights of women or like now we have to do something for women and we are with you or um, yeah it's just um, ridiculous but if you do not know the history and you haven't analyzed it then you can feel even excited about mm. like oh what a shift in the society how great that this uh, industry is behind me now and i think this is a good point. We will come back to this. We need to expose the alcohol industry a little bit more and use some of uh, your analysis because you have written different blog posts about this. But I wanted to make the transition now from analyzing gender norms to analyzing the alcohol norm and identifying some of the overlaps to talking a little bit more about violence against women. You mentioned two facts like um, in general terms speaking, up to 80% of violence against women in certain communities can be due to alcohol. And we mentioned here countries like Vietnam where intimate partner violence is related to alcohol use in up to 60-65% yeah. of the cases. So can you tell us a little bit more about this? Like what do you hear from women in the communities around the world in the work that we are doing and from the science yeah so science actually proves this and uh, one of the the key 
uh, actions to reduce violence against women uh, that is recommended, for example, by WHO, is to reduce alcohol use. Uh, and, it's, and it goes in the, among the other actions like uh, wage equality, for example, or the same uh, pay for women and men, and then the legislation that has to be equal to both. So it's interesting that it comes in the same category of, of measures that, that are used. So science proves that. Um, and what we hear from the communi communities is uh, lots of support in a way. And I can share with you my experience from, uh, from for example, Commission on Status of Women, uh, where I, uh, when, when I discuss or when I present the case uh, to a bigger forum, who comes to me then afterwards and supports the, the idea is mm. women from the communities mm. who are actually coming and thanking that finally someone has already, uh, someone has uh, started talking about it because they are missing it. They can see it in the communities, they are experiencing it. And when we combine science and communities, then we can bring the name of Lori Heise, who, has, who is a scientist or researcher who has been actually looking into other topics. She was not focusing on alcohol issues and um, she was talking to women about environmental issues and she was out there in uh, communities somewhere in India, if I remember correctly, um, and where they were interviewing, interviewing women and they asked them what is the biggest thing that bothers them. And they would expect that they will uh, say something like that they do not have access to clean water uh, uh, and what they got to hear was the violent, the, the alcohol and the violence caused uh, by the, uh, alcohol in their men. So the women actually didn't mind not having access to clean water close by and that they could go and pick water somewhere further away from their homes because then they could be away from the males in the, in the household who would be violent. Mm. So, and that was a very shocking, actually, insight for Laurie, who has really not been thinking of alcohol, but this is uh, very well documented. Yeah, I think we also have this fact that, uh, like the women in India that you are talking about in, in this anecdote or in, in this uh, work that Laurie does, uh, focus groups in rural Rwanda also report that um, alcohol is actually the number one factor yeah. in domestic violence cases. So yeah. that, and I think we know this from other studies um, in Argentina, 68% uh, of cases of domestic violence are alcohol related. This is probably an experience of col female college students in the United States and Canada, mm. as well as uh, women in rural Rwanda and Northern India. So this seems to be a global problem that alcohol use is a massive risk factor in this epidemic of violence against women. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And now our conversation has to turn to if the community voices talk about this and, you know, in this biggest of all forums on women's rights and gender equality, the Commission on the Status of Women, are happy when finally somebody starts talking about it like you are doing in side events and in interventions. If we have these women that react like that and that report this from the communities and we have 
the, the scientific community like represented by the World Health Organization? Wh why do you still say that the response is lacking, that there is actually no adequate response from the women's rights movement here? What do you mean by that? Hmm. I mean uh, that the problems from the communities do not reach the leadership of the of different organizations uh, running <laughs> feminist feminist movement on the fight for equality unfortunately it's even difficult for me to say uh, because uh, i always you know like feminism i understand it that it's like the, it's the it's this uh, crazy idea that everyone is equal and everyone is uh, considered and everyone has equal. crazy in quotation yeah, marks. crazy in quotation marks yes or radical in quotation marks uh, that everyone has same opportunities but uh, even within the the movement you will not get all the voices heard for example and um, feminist movement is also or has become or has been also rather theoretical so and i completely understand and agree that the structural that the system has to change if you want to have uh, gender equality and feminist movement works on that for example so then then the the alcohol issue might either seem too small or really like the that would actually di uh, direct the focus uh, or attention in the wrong direction and we have to uh, keep our eyes on on higher goals let's say and the, and the really the, the system change um, so that's i think that those the, the voices from the communities that come that are not in the line with the talking points of the feminist movement they in a way get ignored or they are some kind some some kind of uh, minimalized i think I want you to speak about these things a little bit more because um, as a psychologist you have analyzed the social psychological behavior of men and women in Slovakia and, and the beliefs they hold about their gender prescribed roles and yeah. so on. So I think you know what the feminist movement is trying to accomplish because you have studied this for, for your society there and now the analysis is that there is a massive problem out there really oppressing women alcohol fueled violence which is fueled directly and indirectly by a century of alcohol marketing and what you are saying is that these voices from the community they are being marginalized because they don't fit into the current understanding or the current objectives of what they want to achieve and the question to me is why that is the case because in the way that you ex describe it i feel like the the system change that you talk about is possible to get it through addressing alcohol because you get the chance to analyze aha there are corporate drivers that have been exploiting women for profit for a century what do we have to do about this specific corporate driver but in general mm. and what can we do to empower women here and now mm. and so i feel like what is the reason that there is this theoretical approach as you are saying and this objective to change the system but in this analysis 
one big part of reality, it's a, it's a real reality, so to say, is completely ignored. And I just want to ask you, so can it be about the people's own thoughts about alcohol? So cognitive dissonance. Can it be this, what we discussed in the beginning, that, yeah, we don't focus on alcohol because for so many years alcohol has actually been used to excuse violence. So alcohol has actually not helped to get to the system change because the perpetrators never got the sentences they actually deserved for what they did and so on. So cognitive dissonance, um, the, the, the understanding of alcohol, what is going on there? What is lacking? Yeah, I think the, the analysis is also inadequate because um, like the feminist movement is looking at power relations and mm. understands that uh, if you empower women and the power relation between women and men will be um, uh, more equal then the because violence is also expression of this power so then you can have as much alcohol as you wish in a in a person or around but as there will be this kind of equality of power then it will not get demonstrated for example through violence and then it can be solved other ways so uh, and in an, in an ideal world, yes, I, I really wish it would be like that, that we can just empower women. But the thing, the problem is that the industry actually contributes to not um, like to, to hinder the empowerment of, of uh, women or, or to, to the power relations. Uh, it fuels the, the old pattern in a way. So I, but I think that the analysis from the feminist movement is simply missing also about this uh, huge corporation. And I agree with you, it can be also cognitive dissonance because alcohol has been also a symbol for male behavior and freedom uh, for men. And now, and we have seen this and like you can see it also in movies, also in advertisements, but also in daily life, like now that women can use alcohol is actually a demonstration of their power mm. and uh, then in a way equality of that power yeah this is such a powerful point that you are making it's quite mind-boggling that alcohol always manages to be this magical substance so there is a track record as you have explained now of dehumanizing women in marketing for 100 years and now the alcohol industry switches. They call Johnny Walker, Jane Walker on 8th of March, as I think you alluded to already yeah. when you talked about March. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden using alcohol is like emancipation. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite remarkable that, that it's possible that this substance is given this kind of significance. Yeah. You can absolutely say that the feminist movement doesn't hold grudge. <laughs> grudge. This, grudge, sorry, grudge on this uh, product. Yeah, against the alcohol industry. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. this point that you made earlier is, um, I think, very true for everybody that we have to unlearn and help each other to unlearn harmful gender norms. Mm. Everybody benefits from this, as you were saying. Uh, even... Yeah, everybody benefits and we have to unlearn the alcohol norm mm. and probably here the women's rights movement has 
still some homework to do to really unlearn and question this and understand the power structures i think this is a very important point that you talk about uh, power structures here the other dimension is then okay so the women's rights movement needs to do better in terms of understanding alcohol as a determinant of women's health and women's objectification and dehumanization but at the same time their sisters from rwanda and india and argentina and vietnam are talking about this and it's these sisters yeah. that come to you and say thank you i'm with you this was great and why are the sisters not being elevated that was that's supposed to be in in my view a yeah. critical element of this kind of equality movement yeah yeah they are not being elevated because if they are hurt if they manage and but they are also not talking about it like they come to me and they are happy that someone finally because i think it has become something that is either so uh, normal in people's lives that they really stop at, at one point even reflecting and talking about it uh, or uh, they know that they will not succeed i've been going to these uh, meetings and talking about this since 2012 i think and it's not that uh, i perceive that i have moved <laughs> very far with, with this topic so i usually get uh, similar answers like yeah yeah, yeah that's a that's a problem but there is much bigger problem behind it and i think that these uh, sisters then from from communities their their complaints are mostly just explained like the analysis is not uh, well enough like it's very shallow and then there is some deeper underlying factor to this and it's not then alcohol like we cannot stop at, at that level we have to go deeper so what do you say to this is there another dimension that even you now should challenge yourself and say well it's not actually alcohol there is something behind it there is a deeper root cause that needs to be addressed what, what is your thinking about this yeah i agree with them the, there is a deeper root uh, to this or deeper deeper cause and that's the those are these power relations or power structures that exist and they have to be changed so but what i usually say is that while we are changing them why would we hinder ourselves like why would we work only with one hand if we can use both hands and we know that alcohol policy solutions actually really help to reduce violence against women so and we it can be also presented in a way that alcohol is not there really used as an excuse for, for violence but we know it works so while we are then really building up and changing the structures and everything we can as well work on alcohol policy because what i never understood is i i completely um, agree with this focus on not allowing perpetrators of violence against women to be excused for whatever reasons yeah. there has to be individuals have to take responsibility have to be accountable and systems so i think that's given that's understood there there is agreement so to say but for me if we as we have done now look at the big picture of alcohol marketing The alcohol industry is the eighth 
most profitable industry in the world. Mm. It's one of the few industries that have been around like that for more than 100 years. So they definitely play a role in setting up these systems and building our environments and shaping how we think about women and girls and men and boys and how mm. we relate to each other. So it's, it's for me not even okay to say, well, there are other reasons behind this because this is like you travel through these countries, you see it and you are like, if we stop this, then we stop a major determinant of how we look at the gender norms. Mm. And they are using the gender norms to sell a harmful product. Yes, <laughs> yes, I can just agree with you. So, um, yeah, we, we also as a movement have to work much better to be also able to explain this and be present in more forums where we can talk about that. Uh, it, it is for sure not enough once a year to go to a, the biggest gathering uh, for all the organizations that want to do something about gender equality and be there one of the million in a way and talk about this issue. So, yeah, we have to be better also at, uh, at conveying the message. So there, there is um, homework for us. As you have uh, explained now, and we have already said that there's homework for the women's rights uh, movement. I think we have to uh, talk a little bit about you, you and women. You mm -hmm. mentioned that WHO um, is actually doing a good job in addressing this. So the interlinkages between violence against women and alcohol and I believe even the United Nations Development Program, UNDP, yeah. is supporting yeah. uh, the World Health Organization in this. Where is UN Women? What's your analysis of this, like the sister UN branch tasked with advancing women's rights? Yeah, the sister is very distanced <laughs> when it comes to this issue, which has been really a sad realization for me. And I actually felt very, very little <laughs> after meetings and uh, and discussions uh, with them about this. So you um, met UN Women representatives or? Yeah, yeah. I met UN Women representatives and then I've been to events organized by UN Women and uh, talked to organizations that are uh, on very good terms with UN Women and understood that this is not really the topic that they would deal with or it's not want to dive into. Yeah. Um, because what we can also see is that these landmark publications, these uh, flagship reports, mm. they are silent. Yeah. Sometimes they don't address alcohol at all. Sometimes it might be mentioned, you, you find in a keyword search yeah. once or twice. So in these seven, eight years that you have engaged with UN women, you have have you seen any progress or any stronger response or is this such a devastating mm -hmm. feedback in the end? Yeah, I haven't seen any progress, honestly. So I have, uh, there, there were some individuals in UN Women who would agree and then they would tell me, let's uh, uh, send us some materials and studies so we can in, in, include it in some reports that we are writing. And then, as you said, then, then alcohol appears in, in an annex or in, or in a table and alcohol policies uh, somehow mentioned there, but 
so we do not see that the that you and women would be on board when it comes to advocating for for policies or advocating for the change of the norm mm. somehow sometimes even really contributing to it and fueling it yeah so if um feminist listens to this podcast now and feels like okay christina is making a good case for reevaluating, like you were saying uh, the theory or where alcohol policy alcohol prevention can be part of the the theory of change towards gender equality if they feel like okay that's interesting i um i take this upon me to look into this what is it that they can do what is it you think they should do um, on an individual level or on, on the also like society or organization level there are several things you can definitely be a friend or a supporter of alcohol policy uh, solutions that reduce uh, alcohol use so it's the taxation really be with all uh, all for uh, against uh, alcohol advertising and eliminating in a way alcohol uh, marketing and redu reducing or limiting alcohol availability. This you can do as an individual and this you can do also as an organization. So get in touch with organizations that are advocating for alcohol policy uh, and ask how you can support them and how you can in your movement create this kind of understanding and support for alcohol policies because that will in, in the effect mean really a lot. It will have a great impact. And then also, uh, also as an individual, but also as an organization, uh, reflect on how you treat uh, alcohol in your organization. Because what is also very important to say is that for sure in the feminist movement, there are women uh, who have uh, negative experiences with alcohol. There are for sure women who uh, had alcohol use disorder or problem. So they would be better off without using it. But then in the, if, if in your circles you are treating alcohol as a, uh, as a normal commodity, ordinary commodity and expect that everyone... Or even glorified. Or glorified, yes. And treated that or like expect that everyone actually likes it and everyone glorifies it. Then you are contributing also <laughs> to a problem or you are ex excluding uh, people. So, so you can also reflect on the alcohol norm in, in your organization, movement, or your own behavior if we are talking about feminist individuals. I, I think these are important points because in the end, what you are saying is, I think these three, four steps, there has to be the realization that alcohol harm is a feminist issue. Yeah. Alcohol harm is actually an epidemic when it comes to women's health, women's empowerment. Yeah. And we haven't even said that, but alcohol harms women more than men, which yeah. is yet another uh, injustice. Yeah. Happening. Yeah. So can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah. Like women's uh, female body reacts to alcohol differently because of the volumes of uh, fat and, and water in the organism. So um, lesser amount of alcohol has a more negative impact on, on the body. And then, for example, when it comes to cancer, like mm. the 25% of all cancer uh, 
cases that are alcohol related of, of all alcohol related cancer cases are breast cancer and this is something that women really <laughs> do not know um, then we have the fetal alcohol syndrome again like alcohol use in pregnancy many women don't, do not even know what kind of impact it has then on on the child and also on their own body i mm. mean it uh, it's uh, uh, it strains the body um, so that would be the short contribution. Yeah. I think this, uh, you know, th there are different aspects, like you are saying, uh, cancer, non-communicable diseases, but also infectious diseases yeah. uh, like HIV AIDS, yeah. uh, the risky sexual behavior, everything to sexual abuse and, and rape mm. uh, that women are exposed to. Um, and then, of course, uh, childbirth, prenatal and neonatal maternal health so yeah that's very important also to address in this i think what strikes me as um, another shocking development is that in the high income countries we see an epidemic of liver cirrhosis mm. in well-educated rather young women yeah. 30 40 years old mm. And what's going on? That's not emancipation. That's not emancipation, but I think it's happening under cover <laughs> of uh, emancipation, unfortunately. And that's something that I already mentioned earlier, that as alcohol has been seen as a symbol of power, symbol of, uh, of freedom uh, and uh, and like in the, in the male world, then then now women, if they want to catch up or they want to feel equal and want to do the same things as men have been doing, uh, they also want to have the right to use alcohol, also to intoxicate themselves and not to carry consequences because uh, it used to be frowned upon when women were intoxicated, but when men were, it was usually accepted or even funny. Uh, so now women really want the same treatment also in this in these cases um, and then of course it's also really changing the perception of alcohol as the gender norms also are changing uh, so there is no this kind of protection that women uh, will not use it just because it doesn't belong to their norms so they use it more uh, there, there is lots of advertising and then the, the effect of on female body is uh, heavier than yeah. a male. And as you were saying, people actually don't know that alcohol causes cancer yeah. and that for women, uh, this is of course a massive risk for breast cancer. Mm. I think we can also see um, how this new alcohol norm is playing out with this wine o'clock mom oh, yeah. culture where mm -hmm. the alcohol industry, even now in the coronavirus uh, pandemic, yeah. is promoting alcohol as a coping tool for yeah. mothers who don't feel they manage with everything that yeah. is on their shoulders. Yeah, that is right. So the, the pressure on women is growing. Uh, they have to still do the... the all the old tasks. All, all the old tasks that they used to. Plus, of course, the, the new tasks are coming. Uh, and then the alcohol is presented also very often as a solution to their, again, stress, for example, or any anxiety that they have. So from all these feminist issues where alcohol is a big problem, um, violence is, I think, still the biggest, but all the other ones like 
addiction, liver cirrhosis, other mental health issues, uh, sexual reproductive health issues, they are all coming, so to say, or they are all mixed together. Yeah. So uh, that then means, I think now you have even added more evidence and more understanding to this simple analysis that alcohol harm is a feminist issue. Yeah. So that's number one, alcohol harm is a feminist issue and alcohol has been a tool for oppression of women in the last hundred years. Now the alcohol industry tries to reinvent alcohol as this tool for emancipation, yeah. but it actually fuels alcohol as a feminist issue, alcohol harm. Yeah. And that then means, and I think you have made this point a number of times, alcohol policy specifically in alcohol prevention in the little bit wider meaning is a catalyst for achieving and promoting women's rights. Exactly. That's a very nice uh, sentence that puts it together. So f to, to wrap up this conversation, we said that now we are in the end in the final phase of the 16 days of activism. We do this every year. And as you said, we have been working with this for maybe the last decade very intensely. What is it? Why are we having this conversation now on the final day of the 16 days of activism in 2020? What is it that you want to see happening going forward? What's your hope with this conversation? <laughs> My hope is that uh, the feminists that are listening or that are really honestly looking for solutions, that they will grab this uh, issue as one of the solutions that they can actually realistically uh, use and change the world around them. This is, this is my hope. So we've been doing it. We've been always finding different channels how to communicate this. This year has uh, brought us to podcast and conversation so today today we have chosen this uh, channel uh, but uh, the message is and the hope is always the same that uh, those that are really active in different feminist uh, organizations or women's women's rights organization will just grab this analysis and use it for in their work because i think here it's important to remember these stories like the rural women in Rwanda and the rural women in northern India yeah. and just I think reflect on what mm. you were actually saying that um, people with power men and women might come in and have preconceived ideas of what can help the women like mm. let's make sure they have a water well a water source or let's make sure that they have a source of uh, income in, in Rwanda. Yeah. And it seems to me that there has to be a more active and deliberate approach to actually allow the women in these communities to tell the stories of what the problems are, like the root problems that yeah. they experience and give them the tools to address those. Yeah. And we have very good examples of solutions also. So that's why I'm saying that these are realistic and they also are not so costly um, because we have examples from communities in Tanzania where the communities uh, themselves came up with uh, ways to 
uh, reduce alcohol or prevent and reduce alcohol use in the community. And that was uh, through various measures, like for example, they would uh, allocate or like they would assign one spot where alcohol was sold and then there would be some uh, hours only for that and not like it used to be that there were whoever could sell whenever and wherever. And so they have then have they have reduced availability of alcohol and then there would be some other measure that uh, they wouldn't the small kids wouldn't go to bars and wouldn't be exposed to that and such and what we could see then the result was that the violence not only violence against women but violence in general in these communities um, was reduced with 70 percent and then the the local doctor said that he finally can sleep in the nights and he doesn't need to treat uh, people who were uh, injured because of this. People, women. <laughs> women, but also, the, in this case, also men like who ended up in some fights and, and such. So, so this is like, this, this is again a proven, we can see that it works. And as you said, like, then, then the communities, if they do not need to care about this problem, then they have energy and time to look at education and uh, the wages and development really of the community. Yeah, I think this is a great final point because alcohol is an obstacle to development in general is underappreciated, yeah. right? So I think alcohol is a massive obstacle to not just SDG 5 that is specifically about women, but also SDG 3 that pertains to women empowerment, SDG 4, SDG 1 and 2, poverty and hunger and, and so on. Yeah. So um, th that seems to be very powerful to raise awareness about all these interconnections and to highlight all the benefits that come from alcohol prevention for the cause of the feminist movement. Yes, agreed. So, Christina, thank you very much for your time today for this uh, conversation. That was a pretty, very honest uh, conversation, very open conversation. And let's hope for our friends in the feminist movement to listen and uh, to reflect and then hopefully to work together. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, let's hope so. We, we are supporting the, the cause of feminism. To find more background information and get into more details about the topics that Christina raised, we have uh, put into the show notes links to her blogs and links to a number of key facts and figures that um, you are welcome to study. And of course, if you have feedback, questions and suggestions, please get in touch. We share our contact details in the show notes as well. The Alcohol Issues podcast is made by Arin Pinho and Mike Dunbia. Our theme music is by Elif Music. That's it for this special edition of the Alcohol Issues podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stay well and safe and see you next week.